Luke chapter number 2. It is the uh, beginning, I guess, of the holiday season. Christmas is going to be here before we know it. And I want to look at uh, some of the Christmas story tonight and speak to you about the worshipers at Jesus' birth. So we're going to look into Luke chapter 2. And then uh, we will also turn over to Matthew uh, for one of these points and pick up one of them there. So let's read, um, let's look in uh, Luke chapter number 2 and for a text verse, oh my goodness, let's go to verse, um, let's go to verse 9. I don't think y'all have that back there, but Luke 2 and let's start in verse 9. The Bible says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear fear not, for behold, I bring you uh, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Somebody say amen right there. A Savior. Verse 12 says, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want to welcome everybody that's uh, listening in Fairview. Thank you for being here. And I'm excited about this. I'm glad you're joining us. So I want to take a minute and pray. And you pray for me and pray one for another. And we'll begin to dive into this. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for these verses. Thank you for the the other verses we'll read as we work through this chapter. And thank you that you came to man. You came to us. Lord, if you didn't come for us, and if you did not become man, we'd have no hope and be without God in this world. Thank you for your birth. Thank you for the events that surrounded it that we'll talk about tonight. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and teach us about worship around this subject. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Thank you for standing with me. I want to take a quick second and give you an update on the tiny home village for the unsheltered that we are working on through our ministry, Unsheltered International. God's really blessed us. Uh, I think the last update that I gave you from here, we were uh, real close to raising the money to buy the land. If my memory serves me correctly, well, God did supply all of that and more. We closed on the land over a month ago. And we've been uh, making some progress on doing some clearing of underbrush and things of that nature. Uh, But here's where we are now. 
The land is, is bought and paid for, free and clear, so we're praising God for what He did there. We've been having a survey crew doing a boundary survey and a topographical survey. That's needed so that we can take those surveys to a civil engineer who is going to assist us in drawing a master plan for the whole 17 acres of the property. That's important because we're trying to build something awesome that's going to help people in, in a serious manner for years and years and years to come. We're not trying to just clear off a little spot of dirt and haphazardly throw up a couple houses. This is going to be an actual development. Uh, you know, it's a three-phase plan. Eventually, there will be offices and warehouses and a big shop and a community center. Uh, everything from a garden to a tornado shelter. There'll be roads going through it and in all kinds of hope for hurting people. Say amen right there. So therefore, because the, uh, there's so much that'll be built over the coming years, we need a master site plan so we can maximize everything, uh, maximize all the property. So please pray. We had an environmentalist come and do his work this week. And the survey crew was there today, William. They were there today working. They have donated, uh, this survey company has donated their time and effort. So that saved us probably over $5,000. And so people are getting on board. And look, there's a lot of hurting people that need our help. And so we're excited about it. So please keep praying. If you want to know some more information, uh, we have these awesome little brochures that Tara had made up for us, and they're at the 411 uh, table there. So please grab you one and check out the Village at Unsheltered International. It has the address in there. You can come by. It's on 278 West. And, uh, and just look at what God's given us. Every once, it's just a raw piece of land right now. There's a lot of work to be done. But every once in a while, I just go drive over there, drive out on the property, uh, get out of the truck and just look and say, man, this is cool. It'll be something one day. You know, a dream has to start with nothing. And God's no stranger to nothing, by the way. He took nothing and spoke the world into existence. And so if I truly believe that God created uh, the heavens and the earth, then building a, a village to help people is, uh, is an easy thing for God to do. He'll take nothing and make something. So thank you for everybody that gave to that recently and, and has helped. It's, uh, God is really doing a great work. You know... I hope you've got your notes there. And I want to dive into this because it is the season to talk about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was praying about what to preach about tonight and what kind of a lesson uh, could I, could I uh, teach, my mind was drawn to the birth of Christ. And I love this story. I love the events surrounding the birth of Christ. And tonight, uh, we're going to uh, look at the four different people or groups of people 
who interacted with Christ at His birth and throughout the first year of His life. Some of the, uh, the events in Luke chapter 2 did not take place actually the, the way we think they did and when we think they did right when Christ was born. Some of them are several months after the birth of Christ. We kind of lump them all in and say that it's the events surrounding the birth of Christ, but it's really his first year of life. But here's the cool thing. All four people and or groups of people that we're going to examine tonight, when they came, when they saw Jesus, uh, the baby or the, 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 the one-year-old, if you will, every one of them were compelled to do the same thing, and that is to worship. The interesting thing is they all worshipped in different ways. And that's what we're going to look at tonight is how they worshipped Christ differently. Now let me say this. There must be something to this Jesus. There's got to be something. If we had four different groups of people recorded in the gospel that came and broke out into spontaneous worship because of a newborn child. That only happens if you're the Son of God. It's not a coincidence that they worshipped. It wasn't an accident that they worshipped. It wasn't a, a haphazard thing They were part of the plan of God and teaching us that from a babe in a manger all the way through the resurrection, this man, Christ Jesus, is worthy of our affection and worthy of our allegiance and worthy of our worship. To worship means to attribute worth. It means to attribute adoration. It means to see somebody for for who and what they really are and stand in such awe that we bow down ourselves, depressing ourselves and exalting the subject of worship. And that subject is Jesus Christ. Psalm 95 and verse 6 says, Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Let's look at the first group that came in Luke chapter 2. These are found in in, uh, verses 15 through 20, and it's the shepherds. And here's what I want to say about the shepherds. They came... And they worshipped by praising. They brought their praise unto the Lord Jesus. Let's look at verse 15. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us uh, now go even unto Bethlehem, 
and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, watch this, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This is a good uh, illustration of a sinner who comes to Christ for salvation. Boy, I remember the day that God saved me. When I came, I was lost. When I came, I was destitute. When I came that day, I was so confused. But then, after uh, being convicted and bowing my head in the best way I knew how, uh, accepting Christ into my life and asking Him to forgive me of my sinfulness, I can remember as I rode home from the preacher's house that afternoon. Man, I went to Jesus uh, in, in a depressed state. But praise God, I left with praise on my lips. And the scripture says, these shepherds came in wonder. They came in amazement. They came because the whole heavenly host was praising God. And they said, we got to go see what this is all about. And they got there in wonder. They got there in awe. And they left in praise. And folks, I got to tell you this, anybody that ever truly comes to Jesus and tastes and sees that the Lord is good, sooner or later, when you turn around to go back, so to speak, you're going to be glorifying God. Say amen right there. Why is praise so important? Why does does these shepherds worshiping through their praise make a difference? What about that? Let me say two things about this, about praise and worship by praise. Number one, praise takes effort. As I was thinking about this uh, a couple days ago, I got to tell you, I just got convicted. And here's what I felt like God was asking me to ask of myself. I had to ask myself, Travis, have you praised God today? (laughs) Got to stay in this area for, for my friends at Fairview. Travis, have you by choice made any effort to think about who God is in your life, and what God has done. And has that thought process caused you to stop long enough and say, thank you, Jesus. You are good to me. Folks, praise is one of the most elementary uh, aspects 
of worship unto our God. And can I tell you something? Praise doesn't happen by accident. Praise doesn't happen uh, 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 just haphazardly. Praise happens when we think about where we were and then we realize where God's brought us from and where he's got us now and we accept the fact that it was all God and not effort on my own part and we break out in adoration thanking God for what he's done in our life. I'm here to tell you, those shepherds went away glorifying and praising God and we ought to go away from every day of our life saying, thank you, Jesus. But praise takes effort. I want us to leave here tonight and say, God, would you help me every day this week to make praise a part of my daily life? To make effort to praise God. So praise takes effort, but B, praise influences. Praise influences. Now, we know that our actions, whether good or whether bad, whether positive or whether negative, our actions every day of our life influence those that are, are around us. We know that. I mean, if, uh, if we have young children in our home and we constantly bicker and fuss and fight, well, guess what? We're going to have kids in the house that learn to bicker and fuss and fight. If we have young kids in our home and and we make a habit of thanking God and praising God, there's probably going to be some kids in there that know a little something about thanking the Lord for their meal and thanking God for the toys at Christmas and all these things. But praise has a a supernatural type of ability to be catchy. Praise really influences the hearers of praise. Now listen to Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And establish my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Many shall see it. What's the it? It's the praise. My question to us is, What are people seeing when they look at us? Another way to say it is, what's your it? Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. In other words, the psalmist said, man, because God pulled me up out of this uh, miry clay, how this horrible pit, I'm praising God, and I know many are going to see that in my life, and they too are going to fear the Lord and learn to trust in Him. Acts 2, 46 uh, through 47, the Bible says, and they continuing daily 
with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Yeah, have you ever asked yourself the question, why did the Lord add daily to the church such as should be saved? Well, we know that was God's will. We know there were people witnessing and preaching and all that. But the Bible specifically says in these verses that they were eating their meat with gladness, singleness of heart, and they were praising God. And having favor with all the people. In other words, the praise of the disciples influenced the lost around them. Now look, let's apply that. Preacher has spent how many weeks on Sunday morning? I guess three weeks, maybe four. uh, Helping us and teaching us how to be missional minded. How to live as missionaries right where we live, work, and play. Amen? Amen. He's gone through great effort to study that and to encourage us, teach us. He's equipping the saints to be what we're supposed to be. Now here's the thing. People won't want to hear what we have to say about God if they don't see us enjoying God. Amen? But when they see that smile on our face, when they see every once in a while a thank you Jesus over here or a hallelujah over there, I'm here to tell you something is catchy about that. Something is important about that. People take notice of praising saints. Why? Because they don't have that in their life. And it attracts people to it. The shepherds worshiped by praising. Not too long ago, I went and preached at Life Spring Baptist Church in Arab, Brother Scott Campbell. Most of y'all know Scott Campbell. And uh, there's a, a young man that is a member of his church with his family. And this young man is autistic. And he's a blessing. And he sits on the swing before church starts, and I mean, he uses the swing. Out right there, they got a swing right on the, on the patio of the church. And, and he's got a couple of uh, a bears that he, stuffed animals he brings with him. And he'll show them to you when you're walking in the door. And he'll be over here and over there. And, and he has a big old smile. And I went over there to preach several months ago, and I think Hunter was with me. And we, I, I noticed that he sits on the very front row and the worship leader was up there playing the guitar and leading the songs. And all of us were in there and we were singing the songs, just kind of going through the motions. Some of us had a smile, some of us didn't and, and whatever. We just kind of going to church. Here this young man was on the front row, didn't care a thing in the world about the rest of us in there. This young man was going to church. He was clapping his hands. He was singing louder than any of us. 
and he had a smile. He wasn't in tune. He wasn't in, in, in uh, carrying no note. He didn't know what a key was. But I promise you this, as I sat there toward the back and looked around at all of us and then looked at the young autistic gentleman on the front row, I couldn't help but think to myself, that young man is giving God way more praise than any of the rest of us put together. Put together. How do you know when you're praising God? It'll embarrass you for a minute. Some of our issue is we're too dignified to praise God. We, we care a little bit too much about what our neighbor will think if we praise God. Praise has no special formula, by the way. One person might lift their hand. One person might say amen. One person might say hallelujah. One person might weep in silence. And praise takes all kind of forms because we're all different. But you better believe this. If we do not express praise, we ain't praising. Let me ask you this. Will you decide this week, I'm going to praise God for who He is and what He's done. Did you know you can worship through praise? Let's look at the second group of people. Uh, this is actually uh, one person, and it's found in verse, he's found in verse 25 to 35, and that's Simeon. The shepherds worshiped by praising. I like this one. Simeon, he came to Jesus, and he worshiped by embracing. This is such an awesome part of this story. Let's look at verses 25 through 35. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the uh, parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up. Now watch this. Then he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Notice some things about Simeon. Notice, first of all, his reputation. The Bible says in verse uh, 25 that this man, the same, was just and devout. So Simeon had a good reputation. But notice also his revelation. In verse 26, it says it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What an awesome privilege that is. God literally promised him, hey, you won't die before you see the Lord's Christ. In other words, you will lay eyes on the Messiah before you die. 
What a special, special revelation. But notice also, uh, see his readiness, his readiness. The Bible says in verse 27, and he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then watch this. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now get what happened here. He literally held the child Jesus in his arms. He embraced the child Jesus. He literally held the Son of God and worshipped. He said, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Here's a special note. When we embrace the Lord, don't miss this spiritual application. Listen, when we embrace the Lord and hold Him dear to our heart, only then are we truly ready to live and die. Simeon, he was living for this moment. And when the moment was fulfilled and he held Jesus, then he declared, okay, I I can go now, Lord. I've held Christ. I'm afraid there's a lot of people. They think they're living. Oh, they're living it up. Oh, they're having the time of their life. Fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the desire of the flesh and of the mind and and gaining all kind of pleasure and they feel like they're getting all they can out of life. But until you've embraced the Lord, you've never truly lived. And here's a stark warning from the Word of God. Until we've embraced the Lord, we're certainly not ready to die. Is that making sense to anybody? Listen, you ever thought about what it would have been if, God forbid, your life had been cut short before you came to Christ? I have a a, a great friend, a college professor and mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Steve Hurt. And he wrote a song. And the song says, just in time. Just in time. The Savior found me. Just in time. Simeon came to Jesus. And he worshipped with his embrace. And folks, don't you know that Jesus is looking today for someone that will embrace him in the morning. Uh, through His Word, and embrace Him throughout the day uh, uh, through prayer and walking with Him and meditation. He's looking for those of us that might embrace Him in the evening and have a conversation with Him before we close our eyes in sleep. And I'm telling you, most people think that worship is what we do in church. 
But most worship is what we do with our life. You ever been around them people that you can just, you just know they've been with God? There was a lady, uh, an elderly lady in the church at Victory in North Augusta where myself and Pastor Malcolm went to Bible college, Mrs. Newton. And she was the, the elderly lady that always wore a big hat and about knocked it off, lifting her hands up, praising God. And you could just get close to Mrs. Newton. And it was like you could feel the presence of God. How come that is? Because she's been with God. She's embraced Him throughout the day. She's loved on Him. And He's loved on her. And there's something special about worshipers that worship by embracing the Lord. Psalm 62 and verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. So how do I embrace the Lord? Pour out your feelings to Him. Let Him become your best friend. Lean on Him. Make Him the one in your life that knows all the secrets. Make Him the one that your life revolves around. Embrace His mercy. Embrace His forgiveness. Embrace His love. And as we do that, we are worshiping Him. Why? Because we're attributing to Him, you're worthy of knowing my every inner secret. You're worthy of uh, of my time. You're worthy of my effort. And I'm telling you, something special happens when we get close to God and God gets close to us. Worship happens and an embrace happens and you've never been loved like you're loved when you're close to God. Say amen right there. I remember when I was a preteen, I had a dog named Spiky. He was a Florida cur dog slash mutt. And Spiky, or Spike as I called him, man, I had him for, I don't know, eight or nine years. A long time. My daddy got him at a junkyard. Literally, he was a junkyard dog as a puppy. And he came home and I raised him from a puppy and Spiky went everywhere I went. We lived in the orange groves down there. and I mean, I'd take my BB gun and I'd go out and I'd be gone all afternoon and he'd be right there with me. And as I, as I got to be uh, 11, 12, 13 years old, as I began to find myself needing someone to tell stuff to, I found Spiky. As a listening ear. I mean, I would tell him things that happened to me that I didn't tell anybody else. Back then, I did not realize there was a Savior that I could call on. 
I didn't realize that the God of heaven wanted to have a relationship with me. But now that I'm an adult and now that God has saved my soul for the last 25 years, I've been not going to to my best friend, uh, Spikey. I've been going to my best friend, Jesus. I'm here to tell you, you can embrace him and tell him your deepest secrets and you can trust him. And you can lean on him. And you can worship him. And here's, here's something that the Lord was impressing upon my heart on the way here tonight. Most of us want to go to God and, and, to get our needs met. And, and we all have needs. Emotional needs. We have physical needs. We have all, finance, whatever. We all, we all have these needs. But so many times we just run to Jesus to get our needs met. Forgetting that if we'll run to Jesus and worship who He is, in the worshiping of the God of heaven, He has a special way of meeting those needs that come up every day in our life. He has a special way. Worshippers, you ever notice this? People who praise and worship a lot, sometimes they seem to have less needs. They seem to have less mess. It's not that they have less needs. It's not that they have less mess in their life. It's that there's something greater preoccupying their heart. Listen, until we leave here, we're going to have needs. We're going to have messy situations. What life is just going to throw us curveballs. It's going to be all kinds of stuff. And we can be preoccupied with it or we can be caught up in Him. And as we get caught up in Jesus and who He is and what He's done and attribute worth to Him and truly worship Him by embracing Him, God has an awesome way of making them bigger old needs not seem so big anymore. Let me ask you this question as we move on. Are you embracing the Lord in your life every day? Let's not forget this holiday season to hold him close in amazement. It's an amazing thing that the God of glory became flesh and dwelt among us. It's an amazing thing that 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 God that became man lived in the same environment that you and I have, yet without sin. And it's an amazing thing that God the Father loved us so much that He sent His precious Son to the cross to endure our shame and our punishment. He literally took our place. He died, not just for us, but instead of us. And he rose again. Now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we have the 
the ability and the opportunity through the Spirit of God to come to the Son of God who represents us to Father God and we can say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And nothing affects our life greater than worship. Let me move on and give you number three. The third person is is a person named Anna, a widow named Anna. In verses 36 through 38, we find out that Anna worshipped by witnessing. Now here's where we can tie in what Preacher Malcolm has been preaching for the last three or four weeks with worship tonight. The Bible says in verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore years, of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Watch this. And spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. How did Anna worship God? She worshiped by speaking of Him to them. In other words, she was a witness. She was a missional member, so to speak. She spent her time consumed with, who can I tell about Jesus today? Who can I witness to today? Oh, you're looking for someone Let me tell you who I think you're looking for. Folks, did you realize this? What Pastor Malcolm has been encouraging us to do for the last few weeks through being disciples that make disciples, if you bold it all down, he's really asking us to worship God. Because when we worship, we want to share that. But did you ever put these pieces together and and realize in your heart and mind that when from a genuine heart we witness about God to someone else, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. In other words, it shows God I think you're really something. I think you're worth talking about. I think you're worth sharing. I think they need to know about you because of all you've done for me. I got to tell somebody. In other words, worship is not that hard. The very act of telling someone else about Jesus is worship. Notice A under under this about Anna. Notice her consecration. Consecration. She uh, verse 37 says she was a widow of about four score and four years which departed not from the temple. 
but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. In other words, she was wholly committed unto God, consecrated unto Him. He was hers and she was His. I'm afraid so many of us, oh, so-and-so's got a big piece, and oh, so-and-so's got a big piece, and man, we give God some too. If we really want to worship by witnessing, we've got to be wholly given over to the Lord in our heart. She departed not from the temple. Served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Can I tell you this? There's coming a day when that will be our life. Did you know that? I don't know what you think is going to happen in heaven. Uh, sadly, there probably won't be a lot of bass fishing. There probably won't be a lot of deer hunting. I know this goes a bit against our religion, but there, there probably won't be no college football in heaven. I knew that'd get a reaction from somebody. You know what there will be in heaven? A whole lot of praising. A whole lot of shouting. A whole lot of glory. A whole lot of God. A whole lot of Jesus. A whole lot of the Holy Ghost. One of my goals is to not get to heaven and feel totally out of place. I want to be used to worshiping down here. So pretty much it's just changing addresses. I was worshiping over here one minute and praise God. Now I'm worshiping over there the next. Now I know it'll be a little more complicated than that. It's going to be a whole lot different. But folks, we're commanded to worship. And God wouldn't command us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. Amen? So the, the pessimist says, well, man, that's what I'm going to be doing all through eternity. Ain't no need in doing it now. The optimist says, man, I better get practiced up. And remember this, now's our golden opportunity to worship God by choice. I'm going to tell you something. When we choose God, God takes notice. Notice her consecration. Notice her commendation. The Bible says in verse 38, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for Jerusalem, uh, for redemption in Jerusalem. In other words, she was recommending others to Christ and commending him to them. Oh, that our lives could look like that. She worshiped by witness. And there was a man, uh, a young man that came to Bible college when I was in Bible college. His name was Pat Feastel. And Pat was fired up for Jesus. And that got him fired from his job. (laughs) Pat, in Bible college, they told Pat, you need to witness to everybody. Share your faith. Well, Pat did. And his boss came to him finally and said, listen, if you don't shut up about this Jesus, 
I'm going to fire you. Well, he didn't shut up. He, he kept witnessing. And the boss kept his word. He got fired. And so, Pat, this is when I was the director of the Garden City Rescue Mission, the homeless shelter in Augusta. Pat already came to the mission and helped out a lot. When he got fired, he came down to the mission that same day. He said, Brother Travis, I got fired today for witnessing. I said, you want a job? And I didn't have no money to pay him. But he, he literally, he lost his, his job, which caused him to lose his place to live. He said, man, I ain't going to have no place to live. He's a young Bible college student. I said, I got a place just for you. He moved into the mission that week and started mopping the floors and discipling the homeless men that got saved for free. I wasn't, couldn't even pay him. He, he did that day in and day out. He came to me one, time, one day, about a couple weeks later. He said, man, this is the greatest job ever. I don't make no money and I don't get in trouble for witnessing. And you just have to know this guy. And I'm like, praise God, Pat. And I appreciated his help. Pat was abused as a child. He, his elementary school teachers told him he would never graduate school, much less learn to read and write. When he got to Bible college, he could not say a whole sentence without stuttering real bad. He was a mess. Sometimes I think his boss probably fired him because he just, his aptitude wasn't all the way there. Guess who's the director of the Garden City Rescue Mission in Augusta, Georgia, right now tonight? Pat Feastel, one of my best friends. He's been the director now for, what, Tara, three, four years? Maybe five years, I don't know, a long time. He worshiped God by witnessing, got fired for it, came to work at the mission for free, cleaning the bathrooms and, and discipling homeless men, and now he runs the whole shooting match. And if you sat down or if he came up and preached right now, you'd never know his childhood was as awful as it was. His worship has transformed his life. Let me give you the last one and we'll, we'll be done. Are you still with me, Fairview? I hope you are. Don't go to sleep in Fairview. That'd be bad. Amen. Number four, the fourth group of people is the wise men. Gotta have the wise men. And we find them over in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, specifically verse 11. And here's what we'll find out about the wise men. They worshipped by giving. So the first group worshipped by praising. Then we had Simeon. He worshipped by embracing. Then what did we have? We had uh, Anna worshipped by witnessing for God. And here we have the wise men. And they came bearing gifts. And they came to Jesus and they presented these gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And by the giving of their gifts, they in essence said, thou art worthy. We worship you. Gold was a, a gift commonly given to kings. 
And it obviously signified the kingship of Jesus. Frankincense was a gift commonly given to priests. This signified the priesthood of Jesus. Myrrh was a gum-like fragrance that was commonly in that day used for embalming the dead. And this gift foretold His crucifixion and His death and His burial. And these wise men came and they brought these gifts. And did you know that you and I also, as we come to Jesus day in and day out, we can worship Him by bringing our gifts to Him. Abraham gave Isaac to the Lord as an offering. Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. Hannah gave her child Samuel to the Lord. Boaz, if you remember, gave handfuls of purpose for Ruth. Spiritual gifts were given to the church. But the greatest gift of all time was born on that very first Christmas day. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to encourage you this giving season, this holiday season, let's not give gifts to everybody else and leave Jesus out. The gifts we give Jesus, they won't be found in our Amazon cart. Matter of fact, they won't be found at Walmart on layaway. Can't get them on the internet. The best part is, it don't even cost money. Jesus wants to capture our heart. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, My son, give me thine heart. And if we'll just come to Jesus every day this holiday season, Give Him our heart. Give Him our affection. Give Him our worship. Give Him our time. Give Him our praise. Give Him our adoration. Give Him our eyes. Give Him our ears. Give Him our hands. Then we'll find ourselves worshiping through our giving. Amen. Amen. I want to challenge myself and all of us tonight. Myself first and foremost because God spoke to me about this as I was looking this over and putting it together. I need to remember to worship God. As I come to Him in prayer, before I ask for something, I need to worship. There's times when you just run to the Father. I get that. There's times when we just come to Him and all we can say is, Help. I'm not talking about not. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about day in and day out when we approach Him. Let's go to God and worship. Let's live in worship. Let's live with praise. And I promise you this, as God gets bigger, our issues in life are going to get smaller. Amen?
I heard another preacher say this uh, the other day. He said, if you have a small God, you probably got big problems. But if you have a big God, you got small problems. So let's worship him. Amen.